This week on Medical Minefield, consultant gynaecologist Dr. Cara Williams. A randomised controlled trial found that anorexic girls who were on oestrogen replacement had an improvement in their bone mineral density equivalent to girls who didn't have anorexia. So we begin thinking, should we be giving these girls oestrogen? And eating disorders campaigner Hope Virgo. I think this is just people being put onto palliative care pathways, people being marked as untreatable. It becomes like a tick box. You've done this, you've given that person what they want, what they need. When I was in the height of my illness, I probably would have gone down this route so that I could then carry on living my life with the eating disorder, with people backing off and leaving me alone. But it's, it's still not right. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons, and I'm a health journalist, which means I spend my life asking tough questions to top experts who really know their stuff, so you don't have to. This week we're asking, should teenagers with anorexia be given HRT? As always, we're really keen to hear what you think. If you have a comment or a suggestion for Medical Minefield, please tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, Barney is still away, which means that I get to talk about things that I'm interested in. Uh, not that I don't when Barney is here, but I decided to talk this week about a subject that is very close to my heart and something that I noticed while listening to the BBC's Woman's Hour on Radio 4 a couple of weeks ago. As listeners will know, I have had a history of eating disorders, well, one eating disorder in particular, anorexia, uh, which I was treated for in my 20s, and I speak about that quite a lot. So whenever I hear that any sort of programme is discussing eating disorders, I'm all ears. On this episode of Women's Hour in particular, they had a doctor who was discussing the benefits of giving hormone replacement therapy or HRT to young people with eating disorders. That sounds quite shocking if you don't really know anything about the background of the subject, but I'll explain a little bit of context. Now, a lot of patients who develop anorexia will have weak bones. In fact, anorexia patients who have the illness in their adolescence are three times more likely than others to develop very weak bones, which can then lead on to osteoporosis. And the reason why is because if you are at a very low weight for a long time, you then stop having a menstrual cycle as you stop having periods. And that means that your level of estrogen, the sex hormone, is incredibly low. Now, estrogen is vital for building bones in teenage years and adolescence. I think there's quite a short window for when you can reach your peak bone strength. And, and then after about 35, it starts to decline. <laughs> so I'm three years away, which is, is nice. So on this episode of Women's Hour, there was a doctor who had looked into this and said that it would be great if we could start prescribing more anorexia patients, HRT, in particular oestrogen patches, because she said that this would then replenish their oestrogen levels, which would mean they'd be less likely to go on to develop osteoporosis. So it sounds great, but I was listening, worried, thinking, really? I mean, it sounds like, you know there's the problem and here's the solution. I mean, what could be so bad? That's our producer, Julia, looking at me <laughs> confused. It does. However, we will hear from a campaigner a bit later who will articulate this much better than I will. But I do worry that with eating disorders, as anyone who has had any brush with the illness will know, if you give 
a patient any sort of wiggle room to mask a symptom or pretend that they're healthier than they are, they will take it. And I guess personally, I spent a long time pretending to myself that I wasn't that unwell. And I was on the contraceptive pill at the time, which meant that I was still having monthly bleeds, but they weren't real periods, right? What that meant was that I could kid myself into thinking my fertility was fine, so I wasn't that unwell. And I worry that it's a similar thing with HRT. If we start giving girls medication to make up for some of the symptoms of being malnourished, perhaps it gives the message that you can carry on the way that you are and we can patch things up and sort you out by giving you drugs rather than encouraging you to eat properly and gain weight. Mm. It's a, it's a, somewhat of a minefield, you might say. Definitely. <laughs> um, but first, we're going to talk to one of the doctors who has researched this topic and is pretty sympathetic to the idea of giving more young people HRT. Joining us now is Dr. Cara Williams, who is a consultant gynaecologist specialising in paediatrics at Alderhey Children's Hospital. She also works at Liverpool's Women's Hospital. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining us. You are one of the authors on this uh, recently published paper advocating for the use of HRT in anorexia patients who are um, teenagers. Can you explain a little bit about what you think the benefits of that would be? Yeah, absolutely. So a bit about my background. I initially got involved with this because I see a lot of girls within my adolescent clinic at Boulder Hay with eating disorders. And I work very closely with the paediatric team in eating disorders service at Alder Hay and quite often we'll see girls who aren't having periods because of their anorexia and when we check their bone mineral density it's often quite low and we know that there is an association with with low bone mineral density in girls with anorexia so we're looking at a sort of policy and guideline within our team for what we could do and as part of that we were beginning to look at the research and there, there really isn't very much research in this field and it all came about really from a, a randomized controlled trial that was published back in 2012, where they found that anorexic girls who were on physiological transdermal estrogen replacement had an improvement in their bone mineral density equivalent to girls who didn't have anorexia. And the girls who weren't on the transdermal physiological estrogen had a significantly less change in their bone mineral density compared to the ones on estrogen. So we sort of begin thinking, should we be giving these girls estrogen? There are benefits of being on the estrogen in terms of their bones, but it's not the only thing that's important for their bones. So we know that their bones, they need calcium, vitamin D, weight-bearing exercise and estrogen. And you need to sort of focus on all of that. But estrogen is one of the components to that. Mm-hmm. And, and am I right in thinking that you would prescribe progesterone along with the transdermal estrogen because of the risk of womb cancer? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So if you're ever giving estrogen and someone has a womb, then you have to give progesterone as well to protect the, the lining of the womb against cancer. So in this mm. cohort of girls as teenagers, we'd give them a cyclical progesterone half of the month so that they would have a period every month. And are there any side effects to the HRT that you've seen in patients? Generally, the transdermal patches are very well tolerated. If you have someone who has not been exposed to estrogen for a while, so if they've had their eating disorder for a while and they've not had periods for over a year, 
then their body sort of got used to not having any estrogen. So if you automatically give them estrogen in a standard dose, they can feel quite sick and they can get some breast tenderness. So generally, if I am bringing in an HRT patch, I will start at a low dose to get them used to that hormone and build it up gradually. And then they tend not to have the same side effects. Mm. But they can get a bit of breast tenderness, some irregular mm. bleeding, occasionally headaches. But generally, they're well tolerated because it's body identical. So it's the same hormone that their body should normally be making, but isn't because of their condition. What do you think about critics, say, who may suggest that giving medication to, I guess, mask the symptoms of eating disorders is perhaps sending the message that you can remain ill and we can give you some medicine to make things better? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Within our eating disorder service that's older hay, the paediatricians use the starter periods again as a way of monitoring their recovery. They quite like them not being on hormones so that you can see if they put weight on, mm. their periods start, you can be reassured that they're recovering, their, that things are heading in the right direction. And that's a problem with going on to any hormones, whether that's the pill or HRT, is that you won't know whether their periods have started naturally with their weight gain because we're giving them the hormones that are giving them artificial periods. So it is definitely a downside of treatment that you can't monitor their recovery as well. Mm. The other issue that teenage girls that have anorexia, when I talk to them about the option of going on to the hormones, quite often they worry that hormones are going to make them put on weight. Mm. They might not want to take them for that reason. Other girls want to know if they're having natural periods and, you know, they, they don't want to go on to hormones for that reason. So, I can totally see that and I and I think it's really important when you're talking to girls about this that it's an option but they don't have to and it's a, you need to take a very individualized approach for each patient depending on where they are in their journey where they are in their recovery what they think about having periods and the importance of it whether they need any their contraceptive needs so if you've got someone who needs contraception then you're less likely to offer them an HRT patch. Could you not just give the contraceptive pill? So in the contraceptive pill the majority of contraceptive pills contain ethanol estradiol Mm. so that's not body identical it's different from estradiol which you get in the transdermal HRT patches and ethanol estradiol has been shown in some studies to affect Uh, IGF-1 levels which can have an adverse effect on bone Mm. so in some studies they've shown that the contraceptive pill doesn't improve their bones Mm. like the patch can now there are newer contraceptive pills Mm. which contain estradiol which is the same hormone that's in the patches but we just don't know the evidence for whether that will help Mm. with their bones or not but if you had someone who wanted who needed contraception then you might be better giving them an estradiol containing pill such as Zoalee or Clara. Now, I was looking at the um, NICE guidance and was quite surprised to see that it is recommended, although it's quite vague, the instructions uh, about when doctors should prescribe HRT for anorexia patients. Do you think that it needs to be more sort of strictly instructed that doctors should prescribe it? It seems like there's a bit of a postcode lottery in, in who gets it and who doesn't. I know lots of people who have had eating disorders and very few of them have been offered HRT. Yeah, I think, I mean, historically, I think 
within gynecology, if a girl had an eating disorder and they weren't having periods, they'd just be offered the pill. And we didn't have any evidence about mm. anything at that stage. We just thought, we'll give them some estrogen, we'll give them the contraceptive pill. And it's only relatively more recently that we've started using HRT patches for this. The problem that we have is that we haven't got really good evidence to know, first of all, when to start the HRT patches and for how long to continue using them. Because you probably don't want to be starting HRT patches when someone's acutely unwell with their anorexia, you know, admitted to hospital. They're probably not in the right frame of mind to be thinking about that at that stage. But also you could argue that you almost want to get in there before they have any loss in their mm. bone mineral density to try and prevent them having any problems to their bones later on. So we, we don't have the evidence to say when you should start it. And we also mm. don't know how long you need to continue it because the issue we have is when they're on it, you can't say, well, we'll stop it when they start their periods because they're not going to start their periods because they're on it. So I think it's difficult to come up with set guidance saying everyone must have it and they should start it at point A and they should take it for X amount of years because we haven't really got the evidence. So I think that's why it is probably quite woolly and lots of people have differing opinions as to whether they should go on it. So at Liverpool, we asked around different paediatric units as to what they were doing and it was very varied as to whether they gave them hormones at all and if they did give them hormones whether they gave them the pill or HRT so I think it's really important that we get funding to put money into research so that we can get these answers so that we have more information to be able to give patients to give them the right treatment that's best for them. Hmm. Well Dr Williams you've explained that very well thank you so much for being so eloquent and for joining us today. No problem thank you for inviting me. It's interesting what Dr. Williams was saying about the pill, because I remember I was on the contraceptive pill throughout my um, illness and a number of GPs said to me, you should stay on it because it's probably doing your bones some good. So it's really interesting to me that actually we didn't know that to be true and it's now since been proven that it's not. But I don't think that I would feel comfortable having transdermal oestrogen. Yeah, I mean, to me it sounded quite reasonable what she was explaining. I mean, if it's offered to somebody to mitigate some horrible symptoms that could be lifelong, you know, I I don't really see what could be so bad about it. I mean, obviously, we need a little bit more research to know what other sort of side effects could be. I mean, hormones do so many things, you know. But if you're trying to mitigate issues with bone density that could be lifelong, you know, if someone does successfully recover from an eating disorder, you wouldn't want them to deal with brittle bones for the rest of their life, right? No, but if somebody does recover from an eating disorder, it's unlikely that they will have problems with their bones, I think, if they, depending on how long it took them to recover. Mm. Um, but if you fully recovered before the age of like 30, I think, you're not likely to have, basically, if you restore weight, and your periods come back, and you're not without hormones for a prolonged period of time, you can restore your bone health, I think. Mm. Or you can, it's not as bad as it can be in other situations where patients have been without periods for 10 years. But again, 
I guess it raises the question because the studies show that if you have been unwell for more than, I think, five years or something, your chances of making a full recovery are, are quite low certainly if you've been unwell for 10 years. Mm. And so it does raise that question, doesn't it? Because, you know, you're not giving up on somebody, but is it not better to just treat the symptoms that they probably have or the, the, the repercussions of their illness right. rather than focusing so much on recovery, which is unlikely? Right. So you just want to treat symptoms that are treatable to give them the best quality of life. Exactly. With the symptoms, well, with the disorder that they have. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't yeah. made up my mind on yeah. what I think about this. I think it's really interesting. But I spoke to an eating disorder expert who said that he was concerned that it would mask the symptoms and that it is a bit of a disincentive for recovery. He also said that we don't know that oestrogen is going to be the main driver of preventing osteoporosis because in some of these studies what you see is that the girls are gaining weight at the same time. So we don't know whether it's the weight restoration, mm. if it's the better nutrition that's having that effect on bones and oestrogen is only one part of the puzzle. So HRT could be one of these things that masks the symptoms that mm. prevents someone from feeling motivation to recover. Mm -hmm. Do contraceptives do something like that? Well, arguably, yes, because you won't know whether you're having periods or not if you're on the pill. And what I've seen happen in quite a lot of people I know is that they kind of, you know, trug along and think that they're fine and think their fertility is probably fine. And then when they want to have a baby, they come off the pill and realise that they're not having periods. And it's an indication that they're still not as healthy as they think that they are. Right. And so the longer, I guess, that you're not having periods, the more impact that could be on your bones. But also it does give you an in, a false sense of security mm. a little bit with the contraceptive pill. And for some women, their fertility is incredibly important to them and it can be a huge motivating factor. Yeah. So it's important to know where you're at with that. Right. Because it could it could kind of trigger a, a spurt of, of motivation for recovery. Mm. I guess that makes sense. Mm. But I think now we should talk to a campaigner who is quite outraged about this idea of giving HRT to eating disorders patients. On the line now is Hope Virgo. Hope, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, when I asked you about what you thought about giving HRT to teenagers with eating disorders, you had quite a visceral reaction. You said you thought it was outrageous. Why is it that you disagree so strongly? I think it puts a plaster on a much bigger problem. So we know that by taking HRT, it can solve issues around um, whether you menstruate or not. But that's not tackling the root cause of the eating disorder. And it's also not helping someone to fully recover from an eating disorder. So for me, if we have someone who is struggling with an eating disorder and we're putting them on it, instead of doing that, actually think about what treatment they might need to help them get well first. So the GPs that I've spoken to are arguing for transdermal oestrogen, so that's a patch, which they say protects bone health in the future. And obviously there is a problem if the longer you don't have periods, as we know, the more your bones are at risk. But you still think that the harm, potential harms could outweigh the benefits? Yeah, it's masking a bigger problem. I think that's admitting defeat to the eating disorder. And whilst I believe every single person can fully recover, I think that at the moment, a lot of GPs and also a lot of clinicians aren't pushing that full message. And we need to be doing what we can to encourage that before giving people supplements. And I think, yes, you might want to give someone, I don't know, supplement, calcium supplements or something to help their bone health along the way. 
But unless they're having that therapy alongside that and that treatment alongside that, encouraging them to get well, it's not going to help them in the long term. Do you think it also sort of, I don't know, as we both know, when you're in the throes of an eating disorder, anything that kind of lets you kid to yourself that you're not as unwell as you are can be potentially dangerous. And that's my concern with this, that you think, well, I'm taking something from my bones, so I'm not that bad and I'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. It's true. It's just, for some people, see it as a bit of a, oh, actually, this is how I can keep doing what I'm doing. And it means that people are going to start backing off and leaving me alone. The kind of devil on my shoulder, I guess, is saying that there are going to be a number of eating disorders patients who, with the best will in the world, really do struggle to recover. And I wonder if maybe giving something for those patients who, you know, we could be saying they need to focus on recovery and nutrition, but realistically, that's quite unlikely that that they're going to get on board with that. Do you not think that maybe for those patients, we could consider doing something else? It's really difficult, isn't it? And I, I know people who are probably at that stage in their own recoveries where they've accepted where they're at and they live with it and they manage it on a day-to-day basis. And I wouldn't want to shame them or make them feel guilty for settling at that point. And I know that I settled at that midway point for such a long time thinking that I'm just going to do this and it'll be fine. But I still believe that we need to be setting people up to fully recover. And if someone is stuck in that point by all means, give them some additional support, like help them to maybe put them on medication if they want to and they think it's the right thing to do. But it's not an excuse to stop treating the eating disorder and it's not an excuse to stop giving someone therapy and the additional support alongside it. And I would hate for this to be seen as like a get out of jail card or we put that person on that, they can Mm -hmm. manage their physical health in that sense. And then we can just discharge them back out into the community. Uh, I spoke to a patient a little while ago about this who told me that she had just been seeing an endocrinologist who had been prescribing her the HRT. And that was the extent of support. And I thought that was pretty appalling. Yeah, because it's not it's just not right. I think at the moment there's so much additional stigma around eating disorders. And I know we've talked about it before, kind of people being put onto palliative care pathways, people being marked as untreatable. And I think this is just another excuse to discharge people and to put people on these pathways because the waiting list is so high. And then it becomes like a tick box. You've done this. You've given that person what they want, what they need. And I know for me, when I was in the height of my illness, I probably would have gone down this route because it was an easy option, so to speak, so that I could then carry on living my life with the eating disorder, with people backing off and leaving me alone. But it's it's still not right. Mm. Do you think it would have acted as somewhat of a disincentive for your recovery? No, definitely. And I think for me, a massive thing was I really wanted to have children one day. I wanted to try and sort my bones out, everything like that, all of that stuff you've mentioned. And if I'd been given HRT, I wouldn't have seen the need to actually work hard to get my periods back, to get my body back to that state where I was functioning. Absolutely. Well, Hope, it's been a pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks so much. I think Hope's articulated that really well, this idea that you think, well, I can just settle here in my recovery and I can take these supplements and, you know, the things that I'm worried about, I don't need to worry about anymore because I've I've got some medication to help. Well, it sounds like between Hope's point of view and Dr. Williams's point of view, it sounds like a combination approach is the only way to treat this stuff you know I guess the thing that I keep kind of coming back to is that 
we haven't even got the basics for eating disorders right. Patients are sat on waiting lists for years. We can't even get them in front of a psychiatrist who specialises in eating disorders or a therapist who can give them the emotional support and psychological support that they need to recover or a dietitian who can help them with the right. nutrition. You know, it takes months and months and months for patients to get onto that pathway. And even if they are lucky enough to get onto that pathway because many are classed as not ill enough to. Their appointments could be few and far between. People leave the service and then they're left without appointments for weeks or months. And I just think this is adding in another element when we're not ready to even do the basics for recovery right, yet. We're, right. we're now saying, oh, and also you should be giving this, which involves another specialist right. because presumably you would need to be referred to an endocrinologist. And also as somebody who has been through the sort of nitty gritty of eating disorder treatment, your life becomes this mess of, well, it's a generalization, but for <laughs> me anyway, my life became a mess of trying to meet various hospital appointments, coming into work for a couple of hours and then having to dart off to another hospital, trying to keep up with phone calls that I had to have with various specialists and online appointments and it's just it takes over your whole life it's all consuming and I think that while it's important for eating disorders patients to be aware of the severity of their illness and, and I do think that in a way being in a hospital a lot of the time is a bit of a can be a bit of a wake-up call I also think it's really important for patients to have something to recover to and being able to be in their life regularly and see what a normal quote unquote life could be for them after they've recovered or even during their active recovery is really crucial. And so I guess another part of me worries that it's just like further complicating the recovery, which is already really difficult from mm. this horrible illness. And the fewer hospital appointments, the better. I suppose. I mean, I guess also if we can't so even if HRT were to improve some, you know, long-term symptoms, can we trust endocrinologists who aren't specialists in eating disorders to responsibly prescribe HRT to patients who might use it as that mm. crutch mm. to hold their eating disorder together? We mm. also have this big problem with people with eating disorders being discharged from services at a very low weight. A bit like what Hope was talking about, which we did on a podcast a few weeks ago, this horrible concept of terminal anorexia, mm. which is NHS trusts that, that simply don't have the resources for patients. So they're coming up with excuses to basically leave them out on a limb is, is one argument, one way to see it, I guess. But we have this big problem of people with this illness ending up in general wards in hospitals because they've become so physically unwell that it's they're now in a critical situation and you know would endocrinologists be able to pick that up and then what do you do with that patient you're not an eating disorder specialist do you then refer them to psychiatry do they end up on an acute psychiatric ward do they get back to their eating disorders I think that you know, any endocrinologist who was dealing with somebody with an eating disorder would need to have very specific and in-depth right. training. Yeah. And do we have the resources for that? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, and you can't blame them for wanting to see 
unhealthy bones and wanting to treat it, right? Mm. But it might not be the holistic approach that any individual with an eating disorder might need. Completely. It's very well-meaning. But I think that it's very easy for a doctor with very little experience in eating disorders to see maybe a menopausal woman who says, I, you know, had anorexia as a young woman and and you see what the state of their bones now and you think, oh, we should, it seems like a very kind of one plus one equals two logical conclusion. We should give them something to prevent this happening. Mm. But unless you understand the intricacies and real acute challenges of these, I can't swear, but B word illnesses, I think that you're a bit clueless. Right. And it's very well-meaning, but I just, you know, I think leave it to the experts. Yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls, I suppose. Yeah, and it's easy for the average person or even average doctor to think that they understand eating disorders, but very, very few do. Yeah, I think unless you've dealt with it yourself, it's so hard to even understand somebody else's, you know? Absolutely. And with that, it's all we've got time for on this week's Medical Minefield. You can read all about this and all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old-fashioned paper form or on the Mail app or on mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another episode of Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.